diving into God's Word today. You know, we're starting a new series of messages today. I always think they're going to be excited when I say that, but sometimes it takes a minute. We're starting a new series of messages today, and we're looking forward to diving into God's Word this Christmas season, and uh, we're talking about how to have strength for the season. How many of you could use a little bit of strength this season? Anybody like that? And uh, sometimes the holidays can be stressful and chaotic, and what we need is some strength. And I'm thankful that within the Christmas story uh, that we have reason to have hope and we can find strength uh, in the name of Jesus. And so we're going to be starting that series today. And you can find a seat this morning. And if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Micah. The Old Testament book of Micah is where we're going to be today. And if you need to use your table of contents and cheat a little bit, that's all right. But Micah chapter 5 is where we're going to be. It's after Psalms and before Matthew. And if you can't find it, just smile and pretend, and it's going to be all right. Or ask your neighbor. There you go. Most of the verses will be on the screen as well. But Micah chapter number five. We're going to start reading in verse number one. If you're ready to dive in, would you say amen today? Micah five, verse number one says this. Now, gather thyself in troops. O daughter of troops, he hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. But thou, Bethlehem, everybody say Bethlehem. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Therefore will he give them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. And he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide. For now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. And this Man shall be the peace when the Assyrians shall come into our land and when he shall tread in our palaces. Then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. For a few minutes today, as we look to these five verses, I'd like to speak to this subject, hope in the dark. Hope in the dark. Let's have a word of prayer today and we'll dive in. Lord, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you that we can come together and sing about your name and the majesty and the beauty and the power of your name. And Lord, I pray that we would never get tired of singing about your praises and, and uh, never get tired of singing about your works in our midst. Lord, thank you for what you did in the 8 o'clock service. And God, I pray that right here in this service that you would speak to us in a powerful way through your word. Lord, I pray specifically this morning for anyone that might be hurting. For anyone that might be navigating a difficult season, I pray that they would find hope from the scripture today. And uh, Lord, we're praying that your Holy Spirit would have freedom to work and that you'd be pleased with it all. We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said today, 
How many of you at the 930 service truly enjoy Christmas music? Can I see your hands? You truly enjoy it, okay? How many of you are pre-Thanksgiving Christmas music listeners? Anybody like that? Uh, First of all, what is wrong with you, okay? And uh, you need to make sure that you wait until after Thanksgiving. That's the appropriate time to listen to uh, Christmas music, right? And uh, the other day, I was in the car with my two girls, and we were listening to uh, Christmas music, and I said, one of my favorite Christmas songs is the song, Oh Holy Night. How many of you like the song, Oh Holy Night? It's a classic. It's a great Christmas song. And so we played it, and I could tell my oldest daughter, Liv, she kind of knew it. She wasn't super interested in that moment to listen to that song. And she said, "Uh, can I uh, play one of my favorite Christmas songs? And I said, sure. And she likes to be the DJ on my phone sometimes in the car. And so I gave her uh, my phone, and she played I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. (laughs) And so kind of two opposite ends of the spectrum there. And uh, uh, that's the song that she wanted to listen to. You know, the song Oh Holy Night has some very powerful lyrics. But you might be surprised to know that the song Oh Holy Night was actually not written even by a Christian. And uh, in fact, there was a Catholic priest who commissioned a French poet to write this song. And he went and he wrote this song, Oh Holy Night. And there was another uh, non-Christian, many believe an atheist, who actually composed it and put the music to it. And so uh, if you're into canceling songs, you might need to cancel Oh Holy Night because it has some origins that uh, were controversial back in the day. Uh, But this song has some very powerful lyrics. In fact, uh, back in 2009, Time Magazine said that uh, one of the opening lines of the song Oh Holy Night is one of the most famous Christmas uh, lines out of all of Christmas hymns and carols. And that line is this. It says this in, in, in that song, long lay the world in sin and error pining. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. And uh, uh, the word pining, uh, how many of you have used that recently? Anybody like that? The word pining? And uh, uh, Seth, there's always one liar. That's like I have. And, uh, and uh, the word pining means yearning or longing. And so the idea of that lyric in that song is that uh, this is describing our condition and the world's condition before Christ came into the world. That, that we were stuck in our sin and in our error, pining, uh, yearning, longing for something better in life. And I think that's interesting because it also adequately describes our culture today. That so many people are stuck in their sin and yet they are yearning and longing and pining for something better. We're, we're hopeful for some hope on the horizon. We're looking for something in life that's going to give us satisfaction or something in life that's going to bring some sort of fulfillment. And yet often we are looking in all the wrong places. But this song starts with in, in sin and error pining. But then there's the transition of the song, and it's, it's a, a thrill of hope, a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. And I love that there's this transition that, yes, there is this sin and error and pining and yearning and longing, but then there's a thrill of hope, and the weary world can rejoice. And those two lyrics really kind of summarize the Christmas story. That there is darkness, yes, there is sin, yes, there is brokenness, but aren't you thankful that God loved us so much that he sent forth his son, Jesus, to be born in a manger in Bethlehem, that he might be the savior of the world. Is anybody thankful today for the gift of salvation that we can experience through God's son? And so this encapsulates the heart of the Christmas story. And we need to know today, as we consider the darkness in our world, have you noticed that there's a lot of darkness in our world today? Everywhere you look, there's wars, and there's anxiety, and vitriol, and hatred, and division, and turmoil, and there's inflation, and there's an election next year, and there's so many things that could cause panic in our hearts. 
But the good news of the Christmas story and the good news of the gospel is that there is even hope in the dark. And no matter how dark the world gets, no matter how uh, dark uh, the night is, the light of Jesus Christ always shines brighter. The light shined in the darkness, John 1.5 says, and the darkness could not overcome it. And so the darker the night, the brighter the light. And we have this hope of Christmas. And so uh, we come to Micah today in Micah chapter 5. And uh, Micah is a small town country prophet. And he is writing this prophecy about 700 years before Jesus is born. Uh, which is a very significant detail uh, that Micah does this. Micah had a contemporary, he had a friend, another prophet named Isaiah. And uh, Isaiah is a little bit maybe more familiar, but they were friends, they were contemporaries, and they were prophets. They delivered the word of the Lord for the people of Israel. The problem is the people of Israel at this time in history were messed up. This was a dark time. This was a time of great sin, of great wickedness. The north and the south were already split. Every king was just kind of doing what he wanted to do, living for himself, living in idolatry, worshiping false idols. And there was great wickedness that was abounding. And because of that idolatry, Micah, the prophet, is going to pronounce that that idolatry is now going to lead to captivity. By the way, that's always what idolatry does. Idolatry always leads to captivity. And so Micah is writing this, and much of the book Micah is giving as a warning. He's saying, hey, you're living in this sinful way, and so judgment is coming. He's saying captivity is coming. And uh, we know in history, captivity did come. They were uh, taken by the Babylonians, the Assyrians, and they went into this captivity. But this is what Micah was uh, warning them against. In fact, it got so bad, and specifically the leadership was so bad in Israel at this time, that Micah said, you can't trust anyone. In fact, he said this in Micah chapter 7, in verse number 5. He said this, do not trust in a friend. Do not put your confidence in a companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. In other words, Micah says, you can't trust your friends. You can't trust your leaders. You can't even trust your spouse. Things are so bad and so corrupt. So Micah is saying, this is, a, this is a dangerous time. And yet in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of these warnings and in the midst of this darkness, Micah gives this prophecy in chapter 5 that provides a flicker of hope for humanity. Uh, this, this flicker of hope that would uh, signal the coming redemption for humanity as Micah announces the birth of a Savior. He's saying, yes, it's dark, and yes, judgment is coming, but you need to know that there is a Savior that will come to redeem his people. And so this was a flicker of hope. And not only does Micah uh, announce uh, the birth of a Savior, but Micah also announces the birthplace of the Savior. This is very significant. It's a, if Micah had an iPhone, he would take his iPhone on, he would drop a pin right there in Bethlehem and say, this is the spot where Jesus would be born. The other day, I was at Victoria Gardens. I was at the Starbucks right there. I think it's on one of the main streets there in Victoria Gardens. How many of you have been to that particular Starbucks? And I was sitting there, and I found out that my dad was driving through. And I didn't know that he was going to be in town. And so I texted him. I said, hey, you should come and uh, come to Starbucks, meet up with us. And, and so I sent him a pin. I sent him a pin location of where we were. And he responded to that pin by saying, where are you? <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I said just, just tap on that little map up there. And it'll, I had to text back, just tap on that map. And and uh, he responded by saying, where? And so at that point, I realized, okay, uh, he's not understanding what, what, what's going on here. And so uh, when I, while I was texting him back, he called me. And he's like, Matt, where are you? And I, and I said, okay. And I think he wanted some kind of old school directions. And so, so I said, uh, do you? <laughs> All right. Amen. All right. And, uh, and so I said, do you know where the Apple store is? 
And uh, he said, yeah, I know where the Apple store is. And so I said, okay, go to the Apple store and turn left. And eventually he found his way and uh, we met up uh, together. But if Micah was, when Micah was writing this prophecy, this is what he's doing. He's saying that a savior is going to come. This is great news. And he drops a pin right there in Bethlehem and says, this is the place where he will come. This is very significant because when you fast forward to the New Testament, 700 years later, the scribes and the religious leaders of the day, they knew exactly where Jesus would be born. Because you remember when Herod wanted to kill this new baby, this new king of the Jews, and, and Herod, said, where, Herod said, where is he going to be born? And they instinctively and immediately went to Micah 5.2. They said he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And so they knew this place that, that Micah prophesied over. And I believe as we examine these verses a little bit closer in Micah chapter 5, some verses that maybe we've read Micah chapter 5, but you never really understood the context or the surrounding verses of this passage. I believe that as we study these verses surrounding Micah 5 too, we see the context which provides uh, hope even in the dark. And so what I want to do today is I want to give you a couple of things to write down, a couple of facts about hope, some biblical facts about hope that we can um, use to our advantage today. Uh, first of all, if you're taking notes today, we have to recognize that hope is found in unlikely places. Hope is found in unlikely places. Now, to kind of get the full context of this text, notice verse number one, and I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open. We're going to study these verses together. Notice verse number one. It says, now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. Interesting introduction. <laughs> what in the world does that mean? Gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. Now, what Micah is doing is he is prophesying of a future time when the Israelites would be surrounded by the enemy nation, and they would have so many troops surrounding them that they would become metaphorically the daughter of troops. Uh, the word daughter implies vulnerability. And so they would be so surrounded and in so much danger that they would just be the daughter of troops waiting for this attack to take place. Because of your sin, Israel, you're going to be surrounded by the enemy. You're going to be vulnerable and susceptible to attack. Notice verse number one. He says, he hath laid siege against us. Now, uh, we know that historically this came true about 100 years later. The last king of Judah was a man named Zedekiah. And the Babylonians came in. They took King Zedekiah into captivity. Then they went and they found his two sons. They brought Zedekiah's two sons, sons right before him, and they killed his two sons right in front of him. And then they plucked out his eyes. So the last thing that he would ever see would be his sons dying. And so this was a dark time that Micah was prophesying about. He was saying, yes, this idolatry is going to lead to this uh, devastation because you've rebelled and, and rejected God. This was, a, this was a dark time. But then he goes on and he says something else at the end of verse number one. Notice what he says. He says, he's going to lay siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. Now, now to smite someone with a rod upon the cheek was not done to hurt you. It was done to humiliate you. It, it was as if the battle was already run, won. You already lost uh, the battle, and, and, and the enemy is just coming and slapping you in the face to embarrass and to humiliate you. In fact, there's a commentator. His name is Bruce Walkey, and uh, he writes on this, on this section in Micah, and uh, this is what he said. He said, the buffet on his cheek represents a climactic insult that all power of resistance was gone. And so verse number one paints a very bleak picture. Would you agree today? Micah is describing this dark time, these dark days. And anybody reading verse number one would say, well, it's over. The kingdom of Israel is done. That's what he's saying. That you're going to be humiliated. You're going to be embarrassed. The kingdom of Israel is over. The Davidic line has been destroyed. This is bad news. 
But it's the devastating and horrific news of verse number one that provides the context of the hope of verse number two. Notice what it says in verse two. But thou. I love the transition there. But thou. But thou. Uh, But thou Bethlehem of Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah. And so God speaking through his prophet Micah, uh, he uh, zeroes in on this little place, this this pin that was dropped in Bethlehem. And he says, but thou Bethlehem. And then uh, he gets very specific and he actually lists the district of Bethlehem. And so Bethlehem Ephrata, and he was saying this so that you wouldn't confuse this Bethlehem with any other Bethlehem. And he says, but thou Bethlehem. But then he gives this description, though thou be little out of all the cities of Judah. The most significant thing about Bethlehem is, in fact, its insignificance. That Bethlehem was little. It was, it was nothing uh, to boast about. It was this little city. In fact, uh, in the book of Joshua, uh, Joshua commands that there would be a census taken of all the cities of Judah, and there was 115 cities listed in Judah. Guess which city didn't even make the list? Bethlehem. There was another time when Nehemiah in chapter number 11, he also was taking a census of all the cities of Judah. And guess which city didn't make the list again? Bethlehem. He says, Bethlehem, though thou be little. From a human standpoint, it doesn't look all that impressive. But I am so thankful today that our God loves to use unlikely places and unlikely people to accomplish his unfailing purpose. He says, you know what, Bethlehem might not seem very significant uh, from a human standpoint, but this is the place that I have chosen to usher in the Savior of the world. Dale Davis said this, God is prone to choose the obscure, the insignificant, the lowly, the common, the unnoticed as the very instruments through which he displays the brightest flashes of his glory. And so today, you might not have the best education, Uh, you might not have had the best upbringing, you might not have had the greatest opportunities, you might think, out of all the people that God could choose, out of all, all the lists that God could choose of people that he wants to use for his glory, I don't even know if I make the list. But can I just remind you that God will select what man rejects. And so often the world says, hey, this isn't gonna accomplish much and you can't do much for the purpose and glory of God, but can I tell you that little is much when God is in it. And God said, hey, Bethlehem, even though you are little in man's eyes, I'm going to do some big things in that little town. Now, every town, every city uh, might be known for something. In fact, some cities are are known for some more uh, significant things, even in our country. Uh, There are certain cities that are known for certain things. I was reading this week that there's a town in Mississippi, Belzoni, Mississippi, claims to be the catfish capital of the world. So if you're interested in catfish, Belzoni is your place, okay? Uh, There's another city. Scottsboro, Alabama is known as the lost luggage capital of the world. And so all of the lost luggage that's never claimed at an airport, it goes to a certain place. It goes to Scottsboro, Alabama, the lost luggage capital of the world, and people will travel to that place, and they can, they can auction off these items that are lost in airports. And so that's what they're known for. How many of you uh, really enjoy the holiday season and the decorations and, and all of the Christmas uh, decor? How many of you love it so much that you'd just be happy if everything was up year-round? Oh, wow. There's a town in Indiana. It's known as, it's called Santa Claus, Indiana, and it's famous for its holiday decorations year-round. It's Santa Claus Museum, a holiday world amusement park, and so that's what they're known for. And so uh, many cities are remembered for certain things. Now, uh, the city of Bethlehem, although it was seemingly insignificant, Bethlehem did have one claim to fame. There was one thing before Jesus came. This was, remember, Micah's writing this 700 years before the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. 
And so what was Bethlehem's one claim to fame? Bethlehem was the place where the mighty King David was born. This was the place, remember when Samuel wanted to anoint the next king and he goes and he, he goes to Bethlehem and he gets with David and all his brothers and he says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. That all takes place in Bethlehem. And so uh, Bethlehem had one claim to fame that King David was born there. King David was anointed there and God made a specific promise to David. If you remember, God made a, made, made a very important covenant with David. We sometimes call it the Davidic covenant. It says this in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse number 16. In your house, this is God's promise to David. In your house and your kingdom shall be established forever. Everybody say forever. forever. He made an eternal promise through your lineage, David. There's going to be a kingdom that is established forever before you. Your throne shall be established, again, forever. And so God made a promise to David, who was born in Bethlehem, saying that through your lineage, there will be a kingdom that is established forever. But then we come to Micah chapter 5, and we read verse number 1, and it seems like that promise was broken. If this nation and if, if this kingdom is to be eternal and last forever, and we come to Micah chapter 5, verse number 1, and he's saying, it's all over. It ended with humiliation and embarrassment. But then we read verse number 2, and we realize that God's not done yet. And then he says, in the same place that King David was born, there's going to be another king that is born, and that is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His name is Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful today that our God always keeps his promises? Even when something seems bleak, even when you are in a dark season or a hurting season, if God said it, you can trust it. And so he says, here in this Beth place of Bethlehem, though thou be little amongst all the cities of Judah. James Boyce said this, Bethlehem was a small town among the many towns of Judah, but with a great history. And yet the history of Bethlehem was to become even greater, for it was out of Bethlehem that he who was to be a divine and everlasting ruler over Israel would come. And so number one today, hope is found in unlikely places. Here's a second thought today if you're taking notes today. Are you still with me this morning? Here's a second thought. Hope is found in knowing God's purpose. And so hope is found in unlikely places. But hope is also found in knowing God's purpose. How many of you have ever received a Christmas present and you opened it up and you thought, what is it? <laughs> like, I'm not sure exactly what this is. that ever happened to anybody. And you're like, I'm not exactly sure what the purpose of this. Can you explain it to me? How many of you still have some Christmas shopping to do? All right, how many of you are done? Let's congratulate them this morning. Way to go. If you still need some Christmas ideas, I'm going to give you some suggestions today. Would that be okay? You can get these things on Amazon. Uh, the first one is a Bluetooth fork. We got a picture this morning, and you might be wondering, what would I use a Bluetooth fork for? Well, this device is used when you're eating too quickly. The fork will vibrate, indicating you need to slow down, okay? And so if you're interested, you can get it on Amazon. The second product that I wanted to highlight is a onesie mop for a toddler, if you have a toddler. As they're kind of crawling around, they might as well be working while they're crawling, you know? Start them at a young age. Get them to dust those floors. <laughs> this last one is my favorite. Go to the last picture. You might be thinking, what in the world is this? You might be thinking, what is this product used for? And this is a chicken wing finger guard 
so that when you are eating chicken wings, you don't have to get your fingers dirty and you can make sure that you do that quickly and efficiently. What a great idea, right? Uh, knowing the purpose makes all the difference in the world. Did I help anybody with their Christmas shopping today? Anybody at all? Okay. So many people in life are frustrated because they don't understand their purpose. So many people are frustrated because they might understand their purpose, but they neglect their purpose. Why are we here? What are we doing? What is this all about? In fact, every year, one of the top-rated questions on Google, one of the most commonly asked questions is, what is my purpose in life? And we come to Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2, and Micah's going to show us how Jesus came with a purpose and on purpose, and I believe it has a profound impact on what we do as well. So let's notice it in verse number 2. It says this, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though thou be little amongst the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Now, this is very significant. Are you with me today? Because he is describing this one that would be born in Bethlehem. And he says, yes, he's going to come from Bethlehem, but make no mistake about it, he didn't begin in Bethlehem. He is describing his eternal nature. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is describing the eternal nature of Jesus Christ, that his goings forth have been from old and from everlasting. This baby that would be born is the eternal King of kings and Lord of lords, that he is the Alpha and the Omega, that he is the beginning and the end, that he stands outside of time. And so Mike is making it clear, this baby that would be born is indeed the Messiah. This is the eternal God. But then he says this in the middle of verse number two. Notice it, don't miss it. He says, But thou Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me. God is speaking through his prophet Micah, and he says, This child that's going to be born is going to come forth, very specifically, unto me. God says, I'm going to send my son to accomplish my will. He, he's coming for me. He, he's coming to accomplish my purpose. Jesus emphasized this and reiterated this throughout his ministry. Jesus said time and time again, John 4, 34, Jesus said unto them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. When Jesus was just a boy and he was in the temple, uh, the Bible says in Luke 2, 49 and 50, and he said unto them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? John 9, 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. The night is coming when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus, time and time again, emphasized and understood that his purpose was to accomplish the will of the father. When Jesus was baptized, God the Father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He understood his mission. He understood his purpose to come and to seek and to save that which was lost. Even in Jesus' darkest pain, when he was going to the cross, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He recognized his Purpose. Can I tell you today that when you are navigating dark seasons, that when you are navigating adversity, one of the greatest things that you can do in your life is to remind yourself of your God-given purpose. 
that we are not here just to amuse ourselves, that we're not here just to entertain ourselves, that we can't just live a hedonistic lifestyle that says, hey, if it smells good, if it looks good, if it tastes good, then I'm just going to partake and do whatever my heart uh, finds uh, to make myself happy. No, we are here for the purpose of glorifying God the Father to accomplish his will and not our own. We are here to go out to the highways and hedges and reach people with a life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. And so often, the reason we don't have stability uh, in our lives when we're navigating the dark is because we are living for a selfish purpose. We're living for ourselves. But here, Jesus is demonstrating that he was living on purpose uh, to glorify the Father. God said he's going to come forth unto me. But then notice verse number three. He says, therefore, will he give them up? Now, this sounds discouraging. Therefore, he's going to give them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth and the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. And so what is Micah talking about here in verse number three? Micah is anticipating a future time that because of Israel's sin, that they would feel as though God gave up on them. That they would go into captivity. We know this happened with the Babylonians, that, that they felt distant from God. And so Micah is saying, you're going to feel as though you have been abandoned. And it's going to be a painful season. The only way that Micah knows how to describe it is to say, it's like a woman in travail giving birth. It's going to be a painful time where you feel as though you are abandoned. And it's in those moments in life when we feel abandoned. It's in those moments in life when we feel alone. It's in those moments in life when we say, you know what, nobody else knows what I'm going through that we must remember. Remember our God-given purpose, that God has placed me here for a reason, that God has brought me here for a purpose, and I, I might not be able to see it or sense it, but I know that God is in control, and that he has a purpose for my life. And this is going to lead us to our third and final thought. Do you have one more in you today? Yes, Number three, hope is found in the good shepherd. Hope is found in unlikely places. Hope is found in understanding our purpose, and hope is found in the good shepherd. Notice verse number four. It says, and he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide, for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. Micah is describing our king. He's describing uh, Jesus, and he's saying this time of abandonment will come to an end, and our, our king will rule, and he will reign. Now, it's very important when you're studying scripture that when you're looking at biblical prophecy, especially uh, in the Old Testament, you will learn that there is often a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. Is it okay if I teach for a second today? There's a near fulfillment, then there's a, a far fulfillment. There's an immediate fulfillment, and then there's an ultimate fulfillment. And so what Micah does here in verse number four is he's jumping ahead to the ultimate fulfillment. He's jumping ahead to the far fulfillment, which is when Jesus comes again at his second coming. And so he's describing this future time when Jesus will rule and reign. And as he does so, he is describing the, the ruler as a good shepherd. When he says he will, in verse number four, he will stand and feed in the strength of the Lord. He's describing that of a shepherd, the good shepherd. And so as we close today, I want to look at this description that Micah gives us in verse four and five about our good shepherd and how we can find strength and comfort and hope uh, in our time of need. I, I want to give you three things. Uh, that our good shepherd does. Does First, he provides pasture. Notice in verse number four, it says this, and he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord. He will feed, he will tenderly care for his flock and make sure that we have exactly what it is that we need. We're not always gonna get what we want and we can thank the Lord for that. 
but he will supply what we need. He will provide pasture. I don't know what you need today, but I know that our God is the God of provision. I know that he is Jehovah Jireh. As a church, we are praying for a building, and we need a building. And I'm so thankful that the good shepherd will provide pasture for his people and that we worship the God of provision. Maybe today you need provision relationally or financially or spiritually, and we worship the God who can provide. He provides pasture. Next, he provides protection. Notice it in verse 4. It says this. And he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. And if you have a habit of underlining in your Bible or circling things, I would circle the word abide. The word abide means to remain or to rest. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good. In this world filled with stress and hustle and bustle, and we can so often be exhausted and overwhelmed that our good shepherd protects us and stands in our place so that we can rest. So that, so that we can abide, that we can remain. He provides that kind of protection. And so he provides, he provides pasture. He provides protection. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse number 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Aren't you thankful for that sacrifice today? He's willing to lay down his life. Psalm 23, verse number one says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I always like that phrase. Like, he's going to make you lie down whether you like it or not. He's going to make you lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He provides provision. He provides protection. But then I want you to see the third thing today. He provides peace. I'm so thankful that we can experience the peace that passes all understanding that transcends human thinking. But not only can we experience the peace that passes all understanding, we can experience the very God of peace. And look at what Micah's gonna say in verse number five as we close. He's gonna say this. And this man shall be the peace. Peace. When the Assyrians shall come into our land and when he shall tread in our palaces, there uh, Micah's using, I believe, uh, metaphorical language. He's using the Assyrians, which was the most powerful uh, nation in the world. He was using them to uh, describe any pagan uh, uh, powerful nation that would come and stand against the Lord. And then he goes on and he says, who shall tread in our palaces, verse 5, then shall we raise up against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. In other words, God's saying, hey, when an enemy nation rises up against me, I'll raise up my own leaders as well. I believe he says this, Micah says this, because uh, it was so encouraging for the people to hear that God would raise up good leaders because it had been so long since they had one. And they were desperate for good leadership. And so uh, he's saying, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll raise up good leaders. But at the beginning of verse number five, he says, and this man, speaking of Jesus, shall be the peace. Now don't miss this. It isn't just that the ruler from Bethlehem brings peace. He is the peace. He is our peace. He is the very prince of peace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 14 says, For he is our peace. If you're looking for peace today, look no further than the person of Jesus Christ. He is our peace. He hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He is our peace. And so when the good shepherd arrives, he brings pasture protection. He brings peace. You know, it's easy to look around the world today and kind of get discouraged or irritated or overwhelmed. Have you ever been listening to the news and just been irritated afterwards anybody like that it's easy to be overwhelmed by the darkness but i love what one author said carl henry he said the early church didn't say look what the world is coming to they said look what has come into the world 
I believe that's the perspective that the church should have today. Not just, oh, it's so bad out there. No, no, no. Jesus has given us everything that we need to live a life of godliness. He's given us everything we need to recognize that we can have hope even in the dark, even in difficult seasons. Now, Micah made this prophecy. 700 years later, it came to fruition. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But I find it so tragic that the scholars of the day, the religious elite of the day, they knew where he would be born. But they didn't tap that pin and go and find him. They knew the scripture, but they didn't believe it enough to go and to worship them, to worship him for themselves. Tragically, many people today, they know about God. They know about Jesus. They know some Bible verses that they learned when they were younger. They have a little bit of knowledge, but they've never tapped on the pin, and they've never pursued Jesus for themselves. Can I tell you today, if you are in this room or if you're watching online today and you have some knowledge of Jesus and you know a little bit about church and you have a general understanding, but there's never been a time in your life when you pursued Jesus and you invited Jesus to be Lord of your life, today can be the day of salvation for you. You can call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. The last verse I want to read is Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. You want to experience joy? You want to experience the peace that only God can deliver? It's by faith, in believing, that you can abound in hope, that that confident expectation of good, abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today as we conclude.